So we're going to read together, and we're reading from Acts, uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, uh, the first four verses. It's on page 75 of the nice new church Bibles, if you would like to follow along there, page 75. Reading from page 75, this is God's Word. The whole Israelite community set out from the, the desert of Sinai, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. So we see another instance of the people being in need and the people grumbling. And we've seen in the past few weeks how God has already met their need of setting them free, of giving them food, uh, sweet water, of uh, raining down manna and quail uh, from heaven as well. But the people are in need uh, and they're coming before Moses and before God again with that need. Good morning, Orangefield. Uh, this morning, I am I, I'm up here on top of Mars Hill in Athens, 377 feet above the city, with Peter and Gary, who are much too nervous to be in the shot. Um, we're, we're on this place that in Greek mythology is the place where Ares stood trial for the murder of Poseidon's son. This place that became the meeting place for the Areopagus court, the highest court in Greece that looked after civil and criminal and religious matters. Probably more significantly for, for you and for me, this place where the Apostle Paul preached one of his greatest sermons about the unknown God. And I'd love to read the third part of our Bible reading this morning from Exodus 17. If you've got your Bibles, open them with me. Although hopefully you already have them open. Gary, as you well warned. From verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. And water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord really among us? What's amazing about this story is that, is that never before in history has a nation witnessed so many miracles in such a short time. In about six months historians reckon these Hebrew people they've seen God unleash ten different plagues in Egypt. They've seen a pillar of cloud and fire leading them into, into the wilderness. They've seen the Red Sea split. They've seen salty water become sweet. They've seen manna and quail miraculously come to them to feed them and, and meet all their needs. And now at Rephidim in the desert, they find themselves with no water. 
Two million men, women and children, their herds, their flocks, on the brink of dehydration and the terror of that beginning to set in. And again, the people complain. It's amazing how how even being exposed to God's faithfulness, it's amazing how, how the miraculous provision of God consistently in their lives hasn't there opened their hearts to trust God in this moment of need. Again, they complain. And again, Moses, when he hears the complaint, he turns to God and he prays. Ask yourself this morning, in times of trial, in times of hardship, in times of suffering, maybe even what you're going through this morning, is your reflex to complain or is it to pray is it to turn to to victimhood and entitlement and woe is me or is it to turn to your heavenly father who who time and time again has shown he is faithful and that we can trust him and look for a second at moses's prayer He turns to God, he cries out, what am I to do with these people? You can imagine the the desperation, you can imagine the passion, the the frustration, but also the expectancy. I can't help but wonder at times, and we've said this before, are our prayers too sterile? Are they too safe? When was the last time you prayed an impossible prayer? When was the last time you prayed in a way that if the Holy Spirit didn't show up and move and answer your prayer, you would fall flat on your face? And when you look at verse 5, what you see is that the God, the Lord, answered Moses' prayer. He didn't just say amen and get up and forget about it. He, he waited for an answer. When you finish praying, do you say amen and rush into your day? Or do you wait and anticipate and expect God to answer you? Is prayer a two-way conversation? And God says to him, gather the people, gather the elders. Go to the rock at Horeb. Take the staff with which I give you, the one you split the sea with. And reach out your hand in front of everyone and strike the rock with the staff and water will come out of it. Some of you will know this story, some of you won't, but just for a second, put yourself in Moses' shoes. Imagine what that looked like to tell the people to come and watch, to lift the staff, to strike the rock, to do an impossible thing, trusting God's voice. How much faith did it take to obey him in that moment? I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 20, a few pages over in the Old Testament to show you another story this morning. Years later, Exodus 17 is only a few weeks into the the Hebrew people's wanderings in the wilderness. Numbers 20 is towards the end of that journey. Years later, this time in the desert of Zin, Again, the people find themselves with no water. Again, they find themselves on the brink of dehydration and desperation. Again, they complain. They've learned nothing about God's faithfulness. And again, Moses turns to God in prayer and in desperation and in expectation. And again, God says to him, gather the people, take the staff, stand in front of the rock. But this time it's different. It's not strike the rock with the staff. God says to him, speak 
to the rock. Speak to the rock in my name and water will come out. And as you read the story, Moses gathered the people. He stood in front of the rock. He had the staff in his hand, but he didn't do what God said. He didn't speak. He took the staff and he struck the rock with the staff. He did what he knew. He did what he was familiar with. He did what he had done before. And water still came out. But because he hadn't obeyed God, he didn't get to lead the people into the promised land. And that can seem incredibly harsh. After his whole life given to this, that can seem incredibly harsh. God still did what God was going to do because God is sovereign in all things. Simply, Moses didn't get to be part of it because he chose to listen to himself rather than listen to God. He chose routine over risk. He chose tradition over trusting God's voice. He chose what he was familiar with rather than stepping out in faith into something new. He stayed within his comfort zone like, like I do so often, like you do so often, rather than trusting his calling to listen and to trust and to obey God. I believe in miracles. I believe that the God who, who made the rocks, who formed them with his voice, like the one I'm sitting on this morning, that God can make water spring forth from the rock just by his word. I believe he can heal bodies and minds. I believe he can restore marriages. I believe he can free people from addiction. I believe he can forgive the most heinous of sins. And as I sit here in Athens this morning, having heard stories and met people whose refugee journey has led them into some broken, broken, lonely, dangerous places. I believe that that God can turn the most broken situations into hope and life. But here's the thing, and this is key. God's not looking for people who can do cool stuff. He can do that all by himself. He's looking for people who will trust him. He's looking for people who, when he speaks will step out in faith. When he speaks to you, when he speaks to me, he, he is waiting for us to do what he is asking us to do, to trust him even when it brings us into a place we've never been before. We stand in this cultural moment that is witnessing the largest displacement of people the planet has ever seen. Statistics at the minute, reckon there are 71 million people displaced worldwide. Some within their own countries. Some right here in Athens. Some minutes from where you're sitting this morning in Belfast. People who've had to flee their home because of persecution, because of war. 71 million people. There are no easy answers to that. Let's not be naive. We need God to work in, in incredible ways. We need the Islamic State and the Taliban to lay down arms and to choose a peaceful path. We need governments in countries all over Europe to release aid and to open borders. We need churches to practice radical generosity. We need cities to rise up and to, to mother and to father and to welcome people. And as I sit here looking over this city, 
the need is overwhelming. 71 million people, the need is overwhelming. This is not an easy fix. But maybe, just maybe, the God who rescued the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, the God who sent his son Jesus to rescue you and me from sin and from death, the God whom Paul preached about standing with his feet in the soil that that, that I'm standing in this morning, that God is still in the business of rescuing broken humanity. He is still telling his story. And he's still inviting ordinary people like you and like me into partnership with him as he continues to love, as he continues to rescue, as he continues to redeem. And so after hearing interviews, after seeing what Noah and Susie are doing, after hearing these words preached from this iconic place in in, in our own history, as God's people. Here's my question. What is the Holy Spirit whispering to you this morning? What is God asking you to do? Is it to pray braver, bigger, more dangerous prayers? And to do it in faith? Is it to welcome the stranger? Is it to be more radical with your generosity, trusting that God will provide for your every need? Is it to allow compassion for the poor to wreck your heart the way it's done for Noah and Susie and brought them right here to Athens and into the heart of the refugee crisis? Or is it like Jesus said to his disciples, like he invited you and me to do, to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations? I don't have answers, but I believe that God does. I believe that he's still working. And right now, I'd love to invite you to stand with me as we take a moment to pray. Let's just take a moment of silence. We've already been still this morning on Remembrance Sunday to remember those that have fallen in the war. Let's take a moment now to remember those who have been displaced by warfare. Father, we pray for each of those 71 million people who right at this very moment are wandering, are in fear, are homeless because of the sins and the brokenness of your people in this world. We pray for those who are right here in this city in Athens right now. We pray for those who are in Belfast, scared, needing help, needing a home, needing a family. And Father, we remember that their story 
is our story. Because they are made in your image, just as we are. So Lord, speak to us this morning, to each one of us, by your word, through your spirit. Show us what you're doing. And help us to be brave and give you our yes. Amen.